Can we do these little refrains to center ourselves around what we're singing to prepare ourselves for the reading of the text? So let's center ourselves around this. May I never lose the wonder, oh, the wonder of your mercy. May I sing your hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. One more time. Oh, may I never lose the wonder, oh, the wonder of your mercy. May I sing your hallelujah, hallelujah. Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're following along in one of our Blue Shed Bibles, it's on page 1100. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. And then we're going to jump to verse 20 and 21. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Skipping to 20. Timothy... Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called as knowledge, which some have professed, and in doing so have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. The word of the Lord. May I never lose the wonder, oh, the wonder. Of your mercy, may I sing your hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord be with you, Mars Hill. It's good to see you this morning. Hey, in the month of November, over a hundred and twenty some years ago. There was a music student named Louis Elbel, and he got inspired. You see, he just witnessed a valiant fight that resulted in what he called no ordinary victory. That victory was the 12 to 11 University of Michigan football team's win over rival University of Chicago. It was a win that gave U of M its first Western Conference championship. And on the train back to Ann Arbor, Elbel broke out a feathered ink pen, or whatever they wrote with in 1898. And he wrote in part, these words, hail to the victors valiant, hail to the conquering heroes, hail, hail to Michigan, the leaders and the best. Okay, all right. Don't worry Spartans, I didn't leave you out. Spartan teams are never beaten. 
All through the game they fight, fight for the only colors, green and white. Over yonder in Holland, at Hope College, it's fight on, you big Dutchman. <laughs> Defend the orange and blue. Be strong and mighty and shout out your loyalty. I knew there'd be one. We love ourselves a good fight song, don't we? Even if, like me, you didn't go to one of these three schools, chances are you're familiar with the impact a good fight song has on a team and its watching audience. A fight song offers encouragement in times of desperation. A fight song celebrates in times of victory. It unifies and it reminds its witnesses of who they are, what they are part of, and to whom or where they should place their loyalties, even in defeat. In your moments of greatest desperation or in times of stunning victory, Mars Hill, my question is, whose fight song do you sing? Whose victory do you declare? What lyrics would we say flow and form the fight song of Mars Hill Bible Church? As we close out our series today, I see these final verses from Paul to Timothy as a fight song of sorts. Here we find words that Paul surely hoped Timothy might memorize at the end of this here new student orientation. He sends Timothy with encouragement, with truth, with reminders about what he's up against, what is worthy of his loyalty. And if we begin by just looking at the heading of these verses in your Bible, you might see a title like, Fight the Good Fight of Faith, or Final Charge to Timothy, a charge being a specific order, the fight he's talking about draws on what we recall from earlier in chapter four when Paul mentions physical training because in the Greco-Roman world such high value was placed on physical prowess, on achievement, on competition, particularly in wrestling. Paul is essentially saying here, as he did back in chapter one, you are going to go toe to toe with an opponent, Timothy. We reference another one of Paul's letters 
in the church at Ephesus a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating that he identified the opponent and it wasn't a football team or another famous wrestler from the first century. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let's pause for a moment and acknowledge together that being faithful will sometimes feel more like a fight than a spiritual fairy tale. Being faithful will sometimes feel more like a fight than a spiritual fairy tale. If you're here or listening online and the math of your life isn't mathing, You've been praying, you've been reading scripture, you've been faithful and spending time in the Lord's presence, you've been doing what you know you were supposed to do, what you were taught to do, and yet your life somehow feels harder. You have dirt under your fingernails from what has felt like you've been army crawling from one day to the next. And it feels like the diagnosis, the family drama, the marriage, the loneliness and despair. Life has knocked the wind out of you. I have two things to say to that, Mars Hill. The first is that I am in it with you. I am in it with you. Just to bring the point home, this morning I was sitting and praying at my desk upstairs just about, oh, an hour ago. And I'm sitting there and I smell something. And I'm going, am I, am, did I put deodorant on? I know I showered, but this, my heater was on and it just got more intense and more intense. And I said, I smell something. And then I lift up my boot. And lo and behold, I had stepped in the stench of some cute and cuddly canine. And if that ain't a metaphor for life for some of us, I don't know what is. We have stepped in something and we don't know where it came from, but we know we are walking through it. I'm here to tell you that that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it wrong. Being faithful can and does sometimes feel like you are in a fight. I think of Genesis 32 where Jacob had faithfully served his father-in-law, Laban. He at this point had two wives. We won't tell you which one he liked better. The text said he and his flocks increased greatly. And yet in Genesis 32, he finds himself wrestling with God and coming up with a wrenched hip. If you are not fighting right now, one day you might be. One day you might be. 
And knowing that being faithful will sometimes feel more like a fight. You may come to find yourself with a wrench tip or something like it, saying, yeah, but I'm still in the presence of God. Paul ends this letter by laying out a specific strategy for Timothy in this fight. Just like the athletes of their day may have plotted and planned for matchups against their opponents, Paul reminds Timothy that there will be times when he needs to take a posture of protection or defense while also pursuing a particular life in and with Christ. Marcel, if we are going to fight the good fight well, we will need a strategy that transcends an election map. We need a strategy that's stronger than a good retirement plan or health insurance or a pension. Look at the language that Paul uses throughout the last half of chapter 6. He uses language of defense where he says, flee from all of this. Flee. The attitudes that Troy taught us about earlier in the chapter last week, flee from those things, flee from the false teachings, flee from the things that are being made up and sold to you as good truth. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge or what had come to be known as Gnosticism. Turn away. Paul issues a warning to reject these and other false teachings that claimed exclusivity in what their culture was selling. On one hand, we must consider what attitudes and ideas we've knowingly chosen to turn away and flee from. If the answer is none, if we find ourselves fleeing nothing, we may be in a place of defensive vulnerability like this guy. We have a picture. He has no idea what's around the corner. He is defensively vulnerable. And if part of the strategy that Paul is trying to impart to Timothy is that there are some things we were made to flee, then my encouragement to us is to consider how are you protecting yourself defensively? Back in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted, ready to go with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. But the truth also stands that defense alone cannot define a faithful walk. Defense alone won't cut it. Paul knew that Timothy and the church at Ephesus would also need to actively say yes to a particular life together, not just defending the faith in an ancient culture war. Because see, you can be suited up, ready for arrows, ready to take blows to the chest, but if you go nowhere, if you take no ground, 
If you run zero yards for the footballs in our midst, you're not really living. Paul knew this. And so he encourages Timothy to adopt a particular offense where he says things like pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. This was in contrast and juxtaposition to the different kind of fights that they were seeing in their midst, the athleticism, the matchups, even those who are familiar with the emperor's army. This is a different kind of pursuit. Fight the good fight of faith. You know what this tells me? This tells me that there are such things as bad and fruitless fights that we could very well give ourselves to. Fighting the ones who actually love us. Expending our energy firing back against an opponent we've never met on a keyboard. Defending or defaming people we don't have relationship with and probably will never pray for. There's such thing as a bad fight. And Paul says, Timothy, fight the good one. He then says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. This life for Timothy, for the church at Ephesus, and for us today is possible in the spirit. If we go back to Ephesians 6, one more time, there's one offensive weapon. And it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The time is now, church, to take hold of the Spirit that is within you and move ahead into the life in which you have been called. So the question when we consider the fight is which fight are you giving yourself to, Mars Hill? Are you fighting? And if so, which fight are you giving yourself to? And where is your strategy potentially vulnerable or incomplete? This whole time we've been asking of this church what kind of church do we want to be? May we be a church that chooses to fight the good fight. Amen. Whereas an athlete would fight for a crown, victory, and prestige, Paul encourages Timothy to fight for righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Whereas a Roman athlete or an American football team might fight to take hold of a trophy that surely will one day rust. Paul says, loosen your grip. He even speaks again to the wealthy folks in his midst. He says, loosen your grip and take hold the eternal life that you professed. Side note, you see, he addresses the wealthy again, but this time 
He doesn't go after them for their attitude or even for being wealthy. I don't, I don't hear Paul saying it's a problem that you have money. That's kind of a deep, oh, okay, all right. So what is he saying? He warns them not to take hold of it so tightly that their wealth becomes the place in which they choose to put their ultimate hope. He says, instead, do the opposite. Take hold of your life in Christ. Do good, be generous, and willing to share, thereby choosing to take hold of the life that will never pass away. The life that will never fade. You see, Paul, he knew the people who made up the church of Ephesus. And he said, I'm trying to give you what you need to combat the real enemy. If we go back to Genesis 32, after Jacob's hip was wrenched, the text says that then the man said, remember, he's wrestling with God, let me go, for it is daybreak. They've been wrestling a long time. It's been a drag out. But then Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. There was a doggedness to Jacob's resolve. And it is in the wrestling, in the fight, because Jacob chose to hold on, that he is given a new name and it says his life was spared. He had a broken hip, but his life was spared. Someone needs to hear that this morning. You might be bruised. You might feel like you're on your last strand. You may feel like you don't know where your strength is going to come from for the next day. But hold on, because the promise is if you hold on to the one who is eternal and immortal, your life will be spared, church. It's interesting to me how Paul chooses to wrap up this letter. In verse 20, which Trace read for us, he imparts another piece of defensive strategy. And he tells Timothy to guard what has been entrusted to his care. This past Tuesday, the teaching team, we were all meeting together and we were talking about this one bit of text. And we notice that there is both something revealed that's big about God, and there's a deep breath available for us. Just in that one sentence, you see, this final charge that Paul gave to Timothy paints a picture of just how trustworthy God actually is. But it's humbling to see here that God still entrusts what concerns him to our care. Is that not incredible? I can't tell you how much money I have given our local library because my kids can't be trusted with a bluey book. 
I have paid a steep fine and a deep cost because my kids cannot be trusted with much that is valuable. And yet our trustworthy God, for whatever reason, stitched it into his plan for redemption for this broken world that he might entrust us with something. How credible is that? Why? But this charge also tells me that the thing that Timothy is holding was unique to him. The text says, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Not the care of the other church leader down the street. Not the care of the prophets before you. Not the care of the athletes or the emperors or even the people who make up your community. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. As Troy, Denise, and Tim and I were sitting and talking about this text, we realized there's a lot of freedom here for the faithful in Christ. Because guess what, church? We were not charged with entrusting and guarding the care of the entire history of the church henceforth and forevermore. That is not on your or my shoulders. We have not been asked to guard Jesus. We have not been asked to guard a political party, the state of our nation. We have not been asked to guard the thing that has not been entrusted to us. So the question then becomes, what has been entrusted to you? Look around, is it, is it your family, your community, your neighborhood? What has been entrusted to you? I invite you, put your name, imagine your name is in this space. Aaron, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Chris, in charge what has been entrusted to your care. Charge what has been entrusted to your care. Trevor, charge what's been entrusted to your care. Holly, Denise, charge what's been entrusted to your care. The question is, what is that? Do you know? As I was sitting with this invitation for our church, if this read Mars Hill Bible Church charge what has been entrusted to your care, came up with a short list. Guard the new American men, women, and children who find themselves making a home here in Grand Rapids. Guard the unity of the city amidst a history of separation, segregation, and distrust. 
Guard the welfare of children, of single parents, widows and widowers in your community. Guard the peace of the city and enter into the work that needs to be done in the face of gun violence and political division in order to see shalom realized. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Ultimately, this letter doesn't just end with a sincere charge to watch out for false teachers or to pursue the highest leadership qualifications. It doesn't end with a charge to live in contrast to the cult of Artemis, which we've talked about over the course of this series, or to live into what it means to ascribe honor even. It doesn't end with one more word to the wealthy a generic, good luck, or go get them, Timothy. It doesn't end that way. The final word to Timothy is grace. It's grace. Grace to carry the call, even when we feel like we are losing the fight. Grace to turn and run when all we've been doing is fighting. Grace to fight when we've only been avoiding and running. Grace to live in courage and to proclaim truth in the face of what is false. Grace is the final word to Timothy in Mars Hill. I believe it's the final word to us. Grace and peace unto you. You who fight the good fight. We began today talking about these fight songs. Remember that, like 20 minutes ago? We began talking about fight songs. You who are fighting, you who've been wrestling, you for whom the journey has been speckled with suffering or tainted with the temptation to praise or honor any other loyalty, any other victor. You who pursue fervently and still feel like you come up short. You who step in the middle of the stench and you don't even know it. You who are fighting just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he asked the Father to take the cup that he was holding. And yet you hold on. The fight song that Paul gives to Timothy is not hail to any other name. It's not fight for given colors, nor is it to shout out loyalty to the orange and blue or anybody else. May the fight song that we sing point to the victor over sin and death, church. And that song is right here in the middle of this text in verses 14 to 16. Keep this commandment without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. 
God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light because of his holiness, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Family, as those who fight, we also come to this table to be fed, to receive, to be nourished, to gain strength. And so I say, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Would you pray with me? How right and a good and a joyful thing at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and you would be for us in this meal strength for the fight that we are in or the one that is ahead. We pray that you would give us strength through these elements to be united as one, as the church, as, as your people. May we be a church that is strengthened through this meal to go forth and pursue what you are calling us to pursue and to flee what you are calling us to flee, Lord. Strengthen us in Jesus' name, amen. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so together, we proclaim the mystery that hovers over and is part of our faith, not just for those of us here in this room or watching online, but for saints before now and who will come in the future. This is the mystery of our faith that we hold on to. Would you recite it with me now? That Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So you're invited at this time, church, to receive who you are as the body of Christ. 
We have elements in the middle of the aisles. They're gluten-free. We invite you perhaps to pray with someone from our prayer team. Maybe that prayer is a confession where you confess the thing or the things that you know you need to flee. Or perhaps you pray and as we sing in response, you hold tightly. You proclaim a new fight song with the words that are to follow, just as heartily and as passionately as you would declare any other song, because you know the good fight is worth fighting. Receive now. Come and eat.